Quick disclaimer, the violence is a little strong this week. There's an instance of torture in the first story and a bloody battle at the end of the second story. We go a bit more descriptive than usual for both because that's necessary for the plot. So please check out the post on mythpodcast.com, linked in the show notes, if that's of concern to you. This week on Myths and Legends, there are two stories from Japan where things are not what they seem, or things are exactly how they seem, and people refuse to acknowledge that. On the first, we'll see that if a person being tortured says they're not a mythological creature, maybe listen to them before things go too far. Though one would argue that torture is probably too far already, the second story today is about a girl and her pet cat, and the dad, who has a massive problem with that. The creature this week is All Ears. That's it. That's their name. And also exactly what they are. This is Myths and Legends, episode 286. Cat Dad. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Like I said at the top of the episode, we're back in Japanese folklore. On the first story today, we revisit the concept of fox monsters. In Japan, they're kitsune, and they're tricky little creatures. But you know who hasn't been tricked by them and never will be tricked by them? A carpenter named Tokutaru, or so he tells everyone, loudly at the bar. Tokutaru, the carpenter, drained his cup of wine and shook his head. Nope, it could never happen. His friends were so tired of this conversation. Yes, of course being bewitched by foxes was a thing. Think about all the people they had heard of being bewitched by foxes. Okay, those are stories? Tokuturu started another cup. The carpenter groaned. Okay, what if he admitted that foxes could take human form and trick people, but he himself would never get tricked? His friends said that they knew of at least 20 or 30 men tricked by the foxes of Makimor alone. He would be tricked. Tokuturu said that they had been over this. That proved nothing. Just that those guys had been tricked. It would be so easy to not be tricked by foxes. They're foxes. Just like, look for the tails or whatever. The friends all said, fine. How about this? If Tokuturu, the 30-year-old carpenter, was so smart, he should go out there. To Makimore, tonight. If he returned without anything having happened... They would pay for five rounds of wine and a thousand copper cash worth of fish. If he was tricked, he would have to do as much for them. Tokutaru grinned. He liked those odds. Sure, he'd take that bet. At dusk, he rose and said he would be back tomorrow. They should have his wine ready. By the time Tokuturu made it out to Magimor, the moon bathed the field in pale light. It wasn't long before, just up ahead, Tokuturu saw the long shadow, a fluffy tail and triangular head. It was a fox. He laughed to himself. 
People getting tricked by foxes. So ridiculous. The fox looked at him and then darted into a bamboo grove. The carpenter gave chase, but noticed that the bamboo grove didn't stop rustling. The fox hadn't gotten any farther away. Then, the spot behind the grove glowed. A woman walked around the bamboo. A trembling gasp of relief when her eyes met Tukuturu's. Oh my gosh, thank goodness. She embraced him. Tukuturu looked at the woman, who was trembling at his chest. She couldn't have been older than 20, and this, this was nice. Then he narrowed his eyes. No, so this was its play. Oh, they thought it was so simple for him to be swayed by a pretty face. Tukuturu stood up tall and stepped away. He said it was obvious the woman was in need of assistance, and he would be happy to provide it. The woman, still visibly relieved, said that she had been visiting her aunt in one of the nearby villages. She stayed too late and got lost on the moor. Where are you from? Tokuturu asked, looking the woman up and down. She was from Upper Horagane, on the northern edge of the moor. Tokuturu shrugged. He was just out for a walk, so it was no trouble. He could take her there? She embraced him again, thanking him. He pointed north and held out his lantern, telling her to lead the way. Tokuturu spent most of the walk with his eyes locked on the young woman's backside to look for a tail, of course. No other reason. As thorough as Tokuturu made his search, though, he couldn't see anything other than her backside. Oh, this one was good. She had a thorough story, too. She was the daughter of the village headsman. She knew all the right people. In fact, Tokuturu actually remembered her from a time when a number of the women had visited his own village, a time that she referenced. This fox had done her homework. Finally, the village glowed in the distance, and the headman's house sat on the outskirts. The young woman rapped on the door before entering. Her parents stood, surprised. She was home? Tokuturu grinned. There it is. The young woman said yes. She talked to them about this? She wasn't staying the night. She had always planned on coming back this evening. Her parents shrugged. Okay. Sure was late, though. The young woman said it would have been a lot later, if not for her rescuer. She gestured to Tokuturu with a smile. The family invited Tokuturu in for some wine to thank him for helping their daughter. Tokuturu kept directing the conversation back to the aunt, and oh, wasn't it weird that they had such different expectations of the young woman's return? Strange. When it was time for him to be going, Tokuturu rose. He asked the father if he could have a word in private. The father met him at the back door. Tokuturu got right to the point. That young woman who returned with me? She isn't your daughter. The father asked, What? Tokuturu nodded. He explained how, out on the moor, he saw a fox go into a bamboo thicket. When Tokuturu chased the fox, the young woman walked from behind the thicket. Huh? Yeah, she said she was lost. Tokuturu laughed. Yeah, that's what she said. He knew better, though. 
What are you saying? The man eyed Tokuturu. I'm saying that your daughter is still with her aunt, or lost on the moor, or anywhere but inside that house. You're saying my daughter is a fox monster, a, a kitsune. Tokuturu said, finally, the man was starting to get it. The headsman nodded solemnly, then broke out laughing. Honey, honey, get this, he said, barging back into the house. This guy here thinks our girl is a fox goblin? A kitsune? The young woman had a look of confusion on her face. What? The mother, though, didn't share the father's laughter or the daughter's confusion. She stood, indignant, that the man would level such an accusation at her girl. The father went over to his wife. It was ridiculous, sure, but the man was obviously, I don't know, drunk or something? The father rubbed the mother's shoulders, and both of them turned to Tokuturu. It was time for him to leave. But they froze when they saw their daughter and the knife that Tokuturu had to her neck. Okay, buddy, what are you doing? She's a fox. I know it. She might be able to hide it, but I'll peel off this false skin myself. The foxes can't trick me, Tokuturu said through gritted teeth. Uh, let's all just calm down, the parents said, inching closer to Tokuturu. Back up, Tokuturu barked. Parents froze. He pointed to the closet. They needed to get in there. He pressed the knife to the daughter's neck until a drop of blood began to form. The parents held up their hands. Okay, okay, they were doing just that. Please don't hurt her. Tokuturu, unfortunately, would not comply with that request. He slid a broomstick in the handle of the door and wrapped a rope around the young woman's wrists, twisting her arms up as she screamed. Confess, Tokuturu barked. Confess and this is all over. He smacked her in the face. She started weeping. Please, please, she didn't know what he was talking about. He made a few small cuts here and there, trying to get underneath the skin to see the fur. He saw only blood, though. Oh well, foxes bleed too, he reiterated, as the woman's parents pounded on the door to the closet for him to stop. He said that all this could be over. All she had to do was confess, confess and transform. She was that fox he saw in the field. Do it. Do it now. The young woman was full on sobbing at this point. She didn't know what he was talking about. Please, why was he doing this? Tokuturu shook his head. No, no, no. Not good enough. He knew what he knew and he wouldn't be tricked by a fox. Then, a sinister grin grew on his face. He wouldn't sit beating this fox all night. It was time for her to confess or die. Tokuturu, the carpenter, began piling wood onto the fire. The parents heard the screams from the darkness of the closet. They heard the crackling of Kindle. They heard Tokuturu's laugh, telling their daughter that she better hurry up and change back. The fire was starting to lick at the edges of her clothes. Then, Tokuturu's laugh stopped. Instead, the room was filled with a, no, 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 no. Their daughter screamed as the fire roared. 
Then they heard Tokuturu rushing around, beating at something and just saying no. The parents had had enough. The door cracked once, twice, and then they came through it. They emerged to see Tokuturu on his knees, in shock, next to the burned body of their daughter. The father dropped to his knees and wailed. The mother ran to the streets to finally get the authorities. A madman, a madman had found their daughter on the moor, returned her home, and then murdered her because he thought she was a fox. Tokuturu was dazed. He said, it happened so fast, her catching fire. He, he knew she was a fox. He shook the burned corpse of the woman, telling her to get up. She was a fox. This wouldn't kill a fox. But she didn't move. He tried to lift her clothes to look for a tail, but they were burned to her. He said he, he never meant for this to happen. Several burly men from town tackled him, bound him, and dragged him out into the street. It was almost morning when Tokuturu appeared before the lord of the region. He had a manor just outside of town, displeased at having to get out of bed, and uh, yeah, also the senseless, brutal murder of the young woman in her home. He grumbled. All right, at dawn, this man would be executed before the town. As the men were dragging the carpenter out, Tokuturu, resigned to his fate, heard a... Wait, Tokuturu? He turned to see an acolyte, a monk in training, a man he knew. The acolyte nodded and followed the mob to the cage where they were holding Tokuturu. I thought she was a fox. I knew it, Tokuturu said, still unable to process that he, he had killed that young woman. He was a murderer. He broke down again. Eventually, he told the acolyte about the bet and how he thought he was above being tricked by the foxes how he let his pride blind him to the truth, that she wasn't a fox. She was a young woman, with the world ahead of her, and he had killed her. It had all been such a terrible accident. The acolyte reached through the bars of the cell, and, gripping his friend's shoulder, told Tokuturu that he understood. The carpenter had done a terrible thing. But the acolyte had an idea. If there was a way for the carpenter to both pay for his crimes and live, would Tokuturu be open to that? Tokuturu thought about it. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see the Acolyte's plan, but that will be right after this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. And you are okay with this? The Lord asked the headsman. The headsman nodded, he and his wife holding each other. But he killed your daughter, the Lord said. He deserves death. The husband and wife took a deep breath and looked at the acolyte, who nodded to them. Even though it was heinous, we now believe that it was done in error. He is not a malicious person, only confused. He actually thought he was doing a service to us and our family when he killed her, the husband and wife said. They said that to pursue death against someone who was willing to change, that would only be out of revenge. That wouldn't bring their girl back. And they didn't need that weight on their souls. The acolyte nodded. The Lord shrugged, then pointed to Tokuturu. And you, murderer, you're going to be a priest? Acolyte, Tokuturu clarified. Priest would come later. He would spend the rest of his life trying to see right from wrong, separating truth from falsehood. He would travel tirelessly from place to place, doing good works and helping those in need. In that way, he could hope to begin to atone for the terrible thing he had done here. And once again, you're okay with this, the Lord said to the parents. Again, they nodded. Whatever, the Lord said, and waved to his retainer. The samurai pulled out the short sword and cut the ropes at Tokutaru's wrists. Tokutaru was free to go with the acolyte. The parents, the acolyte, and the now former carpenter walked from the Lord's estate. It was still an hour before dawn. No one said anything. Before they parted ways, with Tokutaru beginning his new life as a priest in training, there was one final thing they would do as part of their agreement. It was back at the house of the headsman. Tokutaru knelt on the floor. He looked on the wrapped body of the girl. One bet. One bet had changed his life forever. The acolyte finished stropping the razor behind him. The parents weren't vindictive, but they did want some sort of show that Tokuturu was going to do what he said he was going to do. Tokuturu was in no position to argue. He was going to shave his head anyway. He was an acolyte now. He had renounced the world. This was just a symbol of a much deeper change. The acolyte undid Tokuturu's topknot, and for the next several minutes, Tokuturu saw his hair fall like water, only slightly obscuring his view of the body wrapped for cremation. It's done, the acolyte said. Tokuturu felt his head, shorn and smooth. He breathed. He rose and bowed to the family, thanking them for their kindness understanding, and forgiveness. He would spend the rest of his life trying to earn it. 
Then he heard a chortle? Tokuturu spun. Where did that come from? The chortle broke into a full-on laugh. A laugh from the wrapped corpse. Tokuturu looked back to the parents. What? Wait, is she alive? But they didn't respond because they were barely holding it together. The acolyte broke next. Tokuturu was so confused. How was any of this funny? (laughs) Come on, open it up, open it up. I want to see his face. The corpse said. The father rushed over and undid the top. And a face pushed through, but not the horrifyingly burned face of the young woman, but a fox. (laughs) She cracked up, her yellow eyes holding back tears. Tokuturu spun around. The elderly parents weren't elderly parents anymore. They were foxes, their orange fur rippling with laughter. The acolyte fox wiped a tear. Tokuturu staggered outside the house. The village, the samurai, the lord, they were all out there. All foxes, all laughing at him. In a moment, dawn broke. And that instant, the village disappeared like fog in the sunlight. The house, the manor, the foxes, they were all gone. Tokuturu was alone, again, on Makimor. He sighed, his shoulders slumped, and, walking past a pile of his hair, headed home. Tokuturu! The former carpenter heard at the bar the following night. How'd it go with the foxes? Tokuturu walked in, and a bag of copper thudded down on the table in front of the men. They were confused. What what happened? Tokuturu pulled off the handkerchief that he had wrapped around his head, revealing his baldness. The bar exploded into laughter, and Tokuturu sat down and told them the whole story. In the end, the experience was formative for Tokuturu. He saw a side of himself that he never imagined existed. A side of himself that he detested. It wasn't the foxes that caused him to lose it and torture that woman. It was him. It was a choice he made. And though it had all been an elaborate prank to get him to shave his head, it had changed him. He didn't let his hair regrow. And the story says that he actually renounced the world and became a priest. I loved the story. It got super dark, though, before it got better. A long time ago, we told the story of the Kumiho, the Korean magical fox. And I mentioned that the Japanese one was similar but different in that it wasn't inherently malicious. This is the Kitsune. If you didn't know, all foxes have the ability to shapeshift into humans and will apparently keep that form under extreme torture. So if you think that a Kitsune might be tricking you, just give up. Don't fight it. You will not win that one. Next up, it's the story of a friendly cat. But is he too friendly?
It's perverse, the father shook his head. It's a cat, the mother rejoined. A tomcat, the father pointed out. The mother shrugged, so it was her pet. It's a male cat, the father said, wide-eyed. Like that made it make any more sense. The mother made it clear that she had no idea what her husband was talking about. Look, all I'm saying is, that cat knows what's up. The dad didn't see how he could be any more clear about that. And what is up? The mother needed more. Our little girl has become a woman. She's 16. She's at the age where she can marry and start a family in the Edo period. And am I just supposed to believe that this tomcat comes into the house when she's, what, 12 or 13? We feed it and give it a place to sleep, and it just now spends every moment with her? It's in there when she changes clothes. The dad gestured wildly. Okay, it's a cat. It's her pet. The mom was really getting tired of this. All I'm saying is, I don't like it. I don't like the way he looks at us, studying us. I don't like the way he looks at our daughter while he's, you know, grooming himself? The staring and the licking, that, that's what cats do. They're weird little guys. The mom dismissed him again. I just think that you don't like cats. I'll tell you what, I don't like that cat. That cat, I'll just say it, he's trying to get with our daughter, the dad said. He's going to put a spell on her. Cats have magic, you know. That cat, it's got to go. The mom said, good luck. If you try to get rid of the cat, the cat would just come back. Cats don't do stuff they don't want to do. It'll stay away if it's dead. The dad arched his eyebrows. The mom said, oh, come on. That is, that's too dark. Don't kill our daughter's pet because you're, like, weirdly worried that it's attracted to her. The dad said, no, he'll do it this time. He's serious. And he was serious. As serious as this whole concept was completely ridiculous. The dad, assuring his wife that he would do it, sulked off. Over the next few days, he watched that cat. That cat that followed his daughter's every move. That even padded along behind her when she went to the bath. The dad would not stand for this. He hated cats, sure. But even more, he hated this cat. He couldn't just come in and take the cat, though. That thing was his daughter's favorite pet. He had to be discreet. He would wait until she was sleeping. Finally, the night came. The dad gripped the sack as he tiptoed to his daughter's room. It was easy. He would grab the cat, stuff it in the sack, and then toss it in the river, just beyond the wall. That way the cat's in the bag, the bag's in the river. Everybody's good. His daughter would ask, and he would shrug. Guess the cat just ran away, honey. They do that, you know. They're the worst. The father slid into the room and confirmed that his daughter was asleep. He slid over to the cat and did that thing that he'd seen people do, where they rub their fingers together. The cat was curled up by his daughter's legs and watched the father's every step. The dad was happy the cat wasn't bolting. The dad moved to catch the cat by his scruff and stuff him in the sack. Not here, the cat said. The dad froze. What? Not here, the cat reiterated. I know what you're doing. Not here. The cat rose, purring, and nuzzled the daughter's leg before his little cat feet thudded down on the floor. Follow me, the cat said, and the dad obeyed. 
We'll see what the whole deal is with this talking cat, but that will, once again, be right after this. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. I knew it, the dad said out in the hallway. I knew you were up to something, and you talk. Yes, you're very smart, the cat said, sitting down. And you are right to be worried. The dad couldn't believe what he was hearing. The cat admitted it. Oh, he was so dead. Your daughter is in grave danger, the cat said. And looked the father up and down. But not by me. I promise you, once he is vanquished, I will leave. The father was confused. He didn't quite understand what the cat was saying, but he was more wary now. He didn't know what this thing's powers could be. It could be able to do magic. It could be a demon, an oni, some sort of shapeshifter, a god. He needed to tread carefully, wait until he had the advantage. What do you need to be out of my house? The dad asked. The cat nodded. Very nice. Straight to the point. Well, his adversary was... large. The cat looked the father up and down. The cat needed aid, if he was to kill him. The father said, okay, he would help. Excellent. Then you can get me Bucci. The father asked, who or what is a Bucci? Bucci, it turned out, was a legendary warrior cat. In cat culture. For the humans, he was Bucci. The pet cat who lived with the guy down the street. Your cat said my cat is some great warrior, and now you need my cat to help kill some vague adversary because you think your cat might be still trying to get with your daughter? The neighbor asked. And this is the only way you can get him to leave? The father said, yeah, that was pretty much it. The neighbor shrugged. Sure. Whatever. Bucci, where's my boy Bucci? Bucci came to the door with a purr and then stopped when he saw the father. He stood, ready to be picked up. Hey, Bucci. The tomcat that's been following my daughter around said he needed your help. You're like some great warrior or something? The dad hefted the cat in his arms feeling the animal's bulk. A warrior slaying what? Kitty treats? Bucci just looked at him. Can you talk, too? Can all cats talk? Bucci just 
looked at him. What's up? Cat got your tongue? Sorry, I had to. You're a cat refusing to talk to me. I'm a dad. That joke was basically inevitable. All right, here we are, Bucci. They were at the man's estate. The tomcat was outside. I heard you coming. Cats have the best hearing of the household pets, the tomcat said. And then nodded to Bucci. Bucci? Bucci nodded back. He said he hoped this was worth it. He was missing brushy time. The granary, the tomcat said. And the father hefted Bucci to the granary. Put him down, the cat commanded in the granary, after the father had closed the door behind them. So, how's this gonna go down? What's your plan here? The dad asked. The tomcat said he didn't think the human knew what he was talking about. Please, you brought your husky little friend here to fight me. Let's do it. We're out of earshot of the house. Let's finish this, cat goblin. The tomcat's pupils widened, and then he hissed. The father waved. Bring it, kitty cat. The cat lunged, and the dad reacted with a backhand, sending the tomcat sprawling on the floor of the granary. Bucci's back arched, and he cat growled. And the dad laughed. They were going to have to try harder than that. But that was when he felt the claws tear at his robe and the skin underneath it. He cried out and turned. What, a third cat? But it wasn't. It was a rat. An old rat. One that had grown until it was almost as tall as the father himself. Its dead, black eyes looked up at the father as it raised its long, hooked claw again. The father stood frozen. There was something here. The cats were telling the truth. The giant rat brought his claw down, but it never made contact. The tomcat, who hadn't been attacking the father but the giant rat looming behind him, had recovered. It flew from the ground and caught the rat in the wrist, biting into its matted, mangy fur. The rat shrieked, a scream that was cut short by Bucci hitting his throat like the cat cannonball he was. The battle had begun. The father dragged himself back, a smear of blood following him as he pushed on the floor of the granary. The rat had size, but the cats had ferocity. Every time they were thrown away by the monster, they hit back harder, and the battle went on. The cats were pummeled, the rat was torn, everyone started to flag, but they knew the first to quit would be the first to die. Then, the rat flung the tomcat up to the rafters. The tomcat had to cling to the wood to avoid falling to his death. He had to hang there and watch Bucci die. Without the tomcat, Bucci was alone against the monster rat. He hissed and lunged, taking out an eye, but the rat buried its claws into the side of the cat. Bucci cried out, and the rat flung him to the ground. The rat was feral, the fight had made it hungry. It bit into Bucci. The tomcat, though, would not let Bucci the warrior cat's death be in vain. He retracted his claws and dropped. By the time the rat monster felt the weight on its back, it was too late. The father watched as the cat's claws found the rat monster's throat and opened it. The blood poured down, and the rat monster flung the tomcat to the ground. It would try to attack, but it would never make it. It collapsed. The father sat stunned as the tomcat limped over. 
the cat said it had heard the rat one day skulking around the outside of the daughter's room. From that day forward, the cat never left the daughter's side. Everything that the father feared from the cat, that was what the rat would have done. It had lived too long, grown too powerful. I'm so sorry I didn't trust you, the father said to the cat. The cat replied that he was tired. He curled up in the father's lap. He said that he would make good on his promise. His adversary had been slain. Now, now the cat would go away. The father said, what? Was the tomcat joking? He had just saved the family. He wasn't going anywhere. The tomcat purred for a moment, and then the purring ceased. The tomcat had succumbed to his injuries. He was dead. The father sat with the tomcat's body for a long time after that, before going to tell the others. The body of the rat was tossed in the river. Bucci and the tomcat were buried with honors, and a statue was erected for them, so that no one would ever forget what they did for the family. And the father? Well, one morning, not too long after, he came home with a kitten. Ostensibly, the kitten was for his daughter, but she soon moved out. In reality, the cat never left the side of the father, and he was all right with that. Next week, we're back in the folklore of Korea, where we'll see that if you're a fairy tale dad making threats about who your daughter will marry, you better be prepared to follow through with those. Want to know how a ton of paintings ended up in the Louvre in Paris? You probably won't guess that it was a direct result of an angry woman hiring a hitman to kill a family member. There's a new episode of Scoundrel, one of our other shows with Cast Media, out today, telling the story of a woman who rose from her parents' failure to become a 20th century billionaire in 2022 money, and all it took was kind of a lot of dead people. Search for Scoundrel, History's Forgotten Villains, wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link in the show notes. The creature this week is the Panati from Roman folklore. I have small ears, I've been told, so even though I might like to use my ears as a makeshift blanket or shirt or flap them to escape uncomfortable social situations, I'll never have that luxury. Because I'm not the Panati. Now, the Romans weren't the first multicultural empire, but the writings of some of their historians seem to straddle a line between myth and history. Like, they wanted to understand the different cultures that they came into contact with and also might try to conquer, but not too much. They never actually came into contact with the northern Scandinavian island of the Panati, also called Panati. According to one source, Panati means all ears, because that's what they were. The Panati, the people, were all ears. I mean, they were only like 40% ears tops. They probably had other hobbies and interests too, but people only ever seemed to really focus on the ears. And I mean, their ears were noteworthy. Apparently the ears were so warm that these people, who lived in what Pliny the Elder called the Icy Sea, didn't need to wear clothes. They just walked around naked everywhere, wrapped in their giant ears. They can also, apparently, wrap their arms in their ears. And, like Man Bat, 
flap off with their skin wings whenever they feel like they're in danger. Truly, if these ears are strong enough to lift a human in the air, the possibilities for giant ears are endless. There's flying and clothes, like we've talked about, but you could tie them to trees and have a makeshift hammock, tie them together to carry groceries. You could have a sleep mask, a backpack. You could throw them over yourself when you're working at a coffee shop so people don't see you looking at 17th century drawings of naked guys with giant ears. So many uses. There's something weirdly transcendent about giant sleeping bag ears. In addition to Pliny the Elder, a few different writers 1,500 plus years after the fact mention these same people. I don't know what they're saying because I keep quitting trying to learn Latin after the first couple of chapters, but the internet assures me that it's a further description of these people. There's also the Dagai, a witch we talked about in episode 244 from the Torres Strait Islands, north of Australia. The origin story of the Panati is a bit more disappointing, though. Circling back to my mention of the Roman historians, in a footnote to Pliny the Elder's description of the Panati, it's speculated that these people don't, in fact, have giant ears, but rather were just a group of people the Romans chanced on who kept their hair short, making their ears look supernaturally large. Seems like a bit of a cop-out, but if it was the case, this whole island of naked guys with just short hair spawned centuries of legends about Dumbo-eared human monsters. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. The Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Myths and Legends is a registered trademark of Bardic Enterprises, LLC. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 